started a series the last time we were together um, about our Kingdom Community core values. These values were written down by a group of us that were praying for two years about how God would use us in the city. Jake started this series off the last time we were together, and he talked about prayer and anticipation. And really, it's that everything we do with Kingdom Community has to start and end with prayer. We want to make sure the things that we are doing or that we feel that we are called to do align with what God is already doing, and we don't want to veer off the plans that he has for us. But we also pray with anticipation. We anticipate that God is working in our community, and we anticipate that God is working even when we don't see all that he's doing. And we anticipate that God is going to ask us to join him in this work. So we are ready to go when he calls. Tonight we are looking at our next core value, which is we've made a commitment to one another and to mission. Now, some of you might start to get antsy that I'm calling for membership and that I'm needing you to sign on the dotted line tonight, but that is not what I'm talking about at all. Um, I don't even know that we're ready for that, <laughs> um, for official members and all of that. But tonight, we're talking about being committed to one another and to this mission. And a lot of us have a hard time with commitment, myself included. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hands, are part of a gym, but don't go very often? Or how many of us um, have made a commitment to start something such as getting up earlier, eating better, going to the gym to exercise, but we're going to start that on Monday, but Monday never seems to come. I am in that boat with all of you. You don't have to raise your hands. Put your hands down. Um, but really, this core value of commitment to one another on mission is about being on mission with one another for the long game. This really isn't something that we talk about too often directly. We kind of reference it when we talk about discipleship or mentoring, meaning we're going to walk with one another through all that life throws at us. But being committed to each other starts to take on another meaning when you start living and working on mission together. This core value answers a question that I am usually left with in settings like this. Well, maybe you felt this way too where we go over something and it seems to connect with you, but in the back of your mind you're asking, well, now what? Um, for example, a few weeks ago we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus and him conquering death, and here we are two weeks later, and now what? In December we celebrate the fact that God came down to earth as a helpless baby at Christmas time, and a week later, now what do we do? Or maybe you've just heard the gospel and that Jesus loves you, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that sounds great, but now what? What do I do with this? And if you're like me, you responded to that gospel message when you were 12. And so a lot of life has already been lived, and a lot of life still needs to be lived. So what do I do in the in-between? So tonight I want to look at a parable that Jesus shared. It's recorded in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Tonight we are going to look specifically at the version in Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels, meaning they tell similar stories of Jesus, but are written by different authors and to different audiences. Luke was a Jewish doctor, but was not part of the 12 disciples that Jesus called, However, when you read the gospel stories, you hear that there was a crowd or a large gathering, and Luke was most likely in that crowd or that gathering. He followed Jesus and wrote down the things that he did, 
And Luke's gospel is written to a primarily Gentile audience. So these were the people who were not part of God's chosen people originally. They were on the outside. And these are the people who Luke is writing to, saying the gospel and Jesus' love and God's love is for you too. So let's look at Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. It says this. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seeds. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he said this, he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now we're going to skip to verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seed that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. There are a couple of observations about this text that I want to spend a little time going over before we really dive into it. Jesus is telling this crowd of people a parable. And a parable is really an illustration that Jesus used a lot to try and convey what the kingdom of God was going to be like. One way someone defined a parable to me, um, this was years ago, I think I was in elementary school, was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So it's a story that on the surface you and I will understand. On the surface, this is a story about a farmer planting his crop. But when we look a little bit closer, there's a much bigger, deeper meaning to it. The second thing to look at is the crowd of people that were, that were hearing this parable. If we back up to the first part of chapter 8, we see that Jesus has his 12 disciples. So these are the 12 guys that he has called who have left everything and are following him. We have a group of women that he just healed. And people were there from the towns that are nearby. Some of these people came because they heard that he had performed miracles. Others came because the things that he was teaching were so different than what they heard that they wanted to hear more. And then there were some that were there to try to trick him to use what he said against him later on. So this is an interesting crowd of people. Some would have been educated. Others would not have known how to read and write. Some are rich, some are poor. And here it is, Jesus is teaching all of them in one setting. So it is in this context that Jesus tells them a story about a farmer. Now, by looking at me, you probably can tell I am not a farmer, like it at all. Um, I like looking at fields, and I think the vineyards that you drive by are beautiful. People who can garden, I am jealous of you. Um, but that is just not a gift that I have. In fact, a few years ago, we had a group of master gardeners. So these are people who know plants and gardens inside and out. Um, they came to teach our students how to garden and how to you know, start little farms in their backyards. And um, they taught us for a little over a year. And I wish that I was just better at this than, than, I, than I was. 
Um, we did a, a project one day. They got us these plastic to-go containers, and we put soil, and we put seeds in there, and we sprayed them down, and we closed them, and we were told, don't shake them, and don't open the lid for three days. And in three days, water them again, don't shake them, close the lid, and on the seventh day, you should start to see something growing. So all of us, I have like this trail of kids behind me as we're walking home, like don't shake it, three days water it, don't open, like going through the whole motion. And I got up to my apartment, and I'm not totally sure what happened, but I reached to put the container on the counter, and I missed. And the whole thing fell on the floor, soil went everywhere, I didn't finish the project. Um, and that wasn't the first time. There's another story about um, a, my roommate and I had planted gardens on my balcony, and right when we went inside, there was a freak hailstorm, and it ruined everything. So when I say that I am not a farmer or a gardener, I, I am not, and I stay away from people's plants for the most part. But as I read this parable, I can't help but wonder a few things. Why does the farmer throw his seeds everywhere? Clearly, there is a spot on his field that has good soil. Why not just dump all your seeds there and call it a day? Why does he waste his time with the seeds on the path in the rocky soil and, and with the thorns? Why not just stop throwing seeds there? So I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. Um, I worked with a family in my early years at 180. Um, and this was a family that a lot of people would not have wanted to work with, myself included. I remember the first day volunteering at an elementary school. I had just been back in California for maybe two or three months. I lived um, in Mexico for a few years, and I moved back. And so I was going through a little bit of culture shock, and I was just like, God has called me to work with kids in, this, in my hometown, which was not my dream of life, but this is where I am. And clearly I'm in this cafeteria, and I look over here, and there's a group of quiet kids eating their lunch, talking to one another. And I thought, clearly God has called me to work with these kids. This, this, is, this is them. And as I turn, I see the principal with another kid who is yelling because someone had just thrown something at him, so he's reacting loudly. He's kind of being dragged out of the cafeteria, and I thought, surely God is going to send someone else to work with that kid and his family. So sure enough, that kid started coming to our after-school program that we had a few days a week in my apartment. He would come without a backpack, without supplies, and he had this survivor instinct. If a kid had two pencils, he was grabbing one of them and taking it home. If I had snack out, he was putting some in his pockets and walking home from there. Um, and so anything that wasn't nailed down, he was taken with him. So one day we're in my apartment, and he brings his siblings and um, some other family members with him, and they share a little bit about their story. They were living with a family member who was, who was health was not good. They, were, they, were, they had a few months left to live. Um, and their parents and other family members were just kind of in and out of their lives. Um, no real stability. Everything was just kind of a mess. And I sat there not really knowing what else to do. I prayed for them, and I prayed with them. We learned Bible stories together over the course of a few months, and I tried my best to keep communicating that God had a plan and a purpose for them. For a while, we partnered with a local church, and we were taking kids from my neighborhood to this local church on Wednesday nights. They were part of that group. And this was all over the span of about 18 months that this was happening. And during that time, I remember distinctly being frustrated and overwhelmed by this family. And I remember going into my friend's office and just broke down because things that were going on in their house, I didn't know how to deal with it. 
um, how their family members were reacting to me walking into this situation was not good, and I just didn't know what to do. Um, but we kept going, and I kept meeting with them, and we kept doing homework with them, um, and kept telling them that there was a purpose and a plan for their lives. And it became kind of a running joke um, between the other staff that wherever I was, this family was going to be with me if I was running errands in Costco. They were with me and probably eating pizza while we were running down the aisles. If I was doing work here at the teen center, they were here with me. If I was doing some kind of practice somewhere, they were there doing practice with me. And then all of a sudden, they were gone, just gone. Um, the family member they were living with passed away. Parents were, again, were just kind of in and out of jail and they were being shipped off to live with someone else out of town. And it felt like all the work and all the time and all the tears and effort that I poured into this family felt like a waste. We were walking on this journey together and then all of a sudden that journey ended abruptly without any notice. And then one day, probably a year later, I get this text from another friend who worked at a school this family had been placed there. They weren't really making friends. There was no trust between them and the teachers, but they kept talking about what they would do with this person named Liz at the park. And so he put the pieces together, um, and we made a time that I could go and see them at lunch. And I would stay with them for about, about an, an hour or so at school. We got a little bit extra time to, to meet together. Um, and it was clear. Life was not going well for them anymore. They were still kind of in this mess, but it did my heart so much good just to see them, to see that they were okay. I got kind of the info of where they were living, and um, I don't know, I just felt like, okay, they're not gone yet. But I left that school knowing that I would probably never see or hear from them for a while, if ever again. They made it clear that they were moving, and they didn't know the details, and I was, had no way of getting them from anybody. So like the parable that Jesus told, I felt like the farmer who just dumped all of these seeds on the rocky soil. This family had heard and seen the gospel lived out before them, but when life came at them, they didn't have any roots in his word, and the joy of following Jesus was just squeezed out of them. And it wasn't just the kids in this family who saw this. It was the whole family. So maybe you felt like this. You've worked really hard and are following Jesus in your daily life. And for a while, it feels like, man, everything is just boom, 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 working out so well. But all of a sudden, life changes. You or someone you know gets a diagnosis and it derails you. Now what? There's an unexpected change in your job and it adds to the stress to you and your family. Now what? You've been talking with friends or family members about hard things that matter to you, but feel like they're not listening and nothing is going to change. Now what? And as we look at this parable again, my extensive farming knowledge would tell me this. Whether this farmer gets a good harvest or a terrible harvest, the farmer has to go out every season and scatter the seeds. Year in and year out, the farmer has to spread the seeds on the field. Whether there's a harvest of 100 times what he planted or expected, the next year, the seeds need to be scattered. Whether there was a drought and there was no harvest of any kind, nothing sprouted anywhere, the next season, the seeds needed to be scattered. If the farmer decided not to scatter seeds because he was tired, overwhelmed, exhausted, or fill in the blank, 
there would be nothing planted in that field and it would be a waste of space because the farmer decided not to do anything. Scattering the seeds and waiting for the harvest takes time and energy and sometimes, even with that, nothing happens. It all takes time and patience and faith that at the right time, the harvest will come. As followers of Jesus on mission, we have committed to scattering his word with our lives, whether that is an actual conversation with someone where we tell them about the plan and purpose God has for them or whether it is the way we live in our neighborhoods. We are to be scattering seeds around and not worry about where those seeds land. Nowhere in this parable does the farmer seem worried about where his seeds are landing. It doesn't say that he saw the seeds on the path and he got a broom and swept them to the good soil. It doesn't say that he saw the seeds in the rocky soil and quickly raked them up to put them in the good soil or save them for later. No, he just went out and scattered his seed. There will be times where people will totally reject what you're saying, but keep scattering those seeds. There will be times where you think you are making headway with someone that got them on the right path, only to have circumstances change and the things that you are working on blow up and are no longer salvageable, but keep scattering those seeds. There will be times where you are told you are a fool for believing in Jesus and believing that there's something better, but keep scattering those seeds. There will be times where you feel like all of this is taking forever. And you feel like you want to give up. And you don't see the results that you want. Keep scattering the seeds. Or maybe there is something or a circumstance in your own life that you have given up on because you don't think there's anything better for you. Keep scattering seeds for yourself. You never know. There may be a time where you keep sharing and living your life as a follower of Jesus, that the seeds that you scatter may just land on good soil, and the journey that you thought was over is given a chance to continue. Or just maybe that thing you did years ago that you regret, or that thing that you, have, you feel like you have to be doing, um, or that you're giving up even trying to change, all of a sudden it has a chance to grow, and you have a chance to forgive yourself and move forward. All of this takes time and perseverance and patience and I think when someone would consider the combination of time, perseverance, and patience to be a launching pad to faith, it means that we will fall down and we will fail. I have failed miserably at some of this and will want to give up. But we will, but we will try again. We'll get up. We'll try again because we believe that the plans and purposes that God has for those in our lives is bigger and better and more beautiful than what they are currently living in. If I look back at the journey I had with this family, it would look like, by any measure, it was a waste of time. I invested too much in them. I should have given up years ago. But this is the perspective that sometimes I forget about. I wasn't the only one sowing seeds of hope and life into this family. Other people who saw this family and got to know them also invested in them. And as I look around this room, there are people here who sowed seeds into this family. I don't even think we knew that we were all doing it at once. And, that, and so we who have done that are living in faith that the seeds that were planted will one day bring forth a harvest. One thing that we have with Kingdom Community are our KC groups. These are groups of people who meet every other week, so in between our Praxis Gathering weeks are when our KC groups meet. And they pray together, they live life together, they go out on mission together. KC groups are committed to God's mission and to one another. We don't have to do this alone. 
And when I was in the midst of the trenches with this family, man, I felt like I was alone. But it turns out I never was alone. There were other people with me the whole time. There are people in this room and online who want to meet and pray and go out into the fields to scatter seeds of God's love and God's words together in this city. In this room, there are people from both school sites and these student, that these students attended. We prayed for and cared for this family together. We do it all the time with students that walk through the teen center doors, that walk through after school program doors, and we do it with people in our lives, our families, and our KC groups because we believe there's a plan and purpose for everyone we meet. KC groups have cared for one another through the pandemic. We have provided meals for group members who were quarantining or lost loved ones. I was someone who received some of that this last year. We believe we are in this long game together. The commitment to one another and to mission has been reflected by so many here in this room. And I'm going to end with this, and then Ali is going to come up with the practice for this week. We aren't promised anywhere in scripture that the mission is going to be easy or quick or convenient. As a matter of fact, most of the time it is none of those things. We aren't promised that committing to one another on mission is, ever, is never going to get messy or complicated because almost immediately it will. We are told, however, over and over not to give up. And we are told over and over that no matter where we are or what we're doing, that God is at work and he wants us to join him on his mission. And we are told over and over that at the right time, the harvest is going to come. We don't have to do it alone. We are committed to one another on this mission as we join God and what he is doing in the city and around the world.